0: Pepperidge Farm, Milano.
1: The only way is through. A new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood.
2: The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform.
1: Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to
1: Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson.
0: And I'm Holly Fry.
1: We are now into part two of our now traditional unearthed episode where we talk about All of the things that were brought up literally and figuratively in 2014. Uh, We know that you all are listening at the earliest in 2015, but we are recording it in 2014. So when we say this year, that's what we mean. Uh, This installment, we're starting with a random assortment of things that didn't really fit into any other category. Followed by some medical unearthings, food and drinks. Literature and letters, and we're going to end with uh, so many people's favorite category, exhumations.
0: So starting off with the random stuff, uh, a probable Rembrandt, which was stolen from a French museum during a Bastille Day celebration in 1999, was recovered this year when the man who had stolen it confessed so when the robbery happened, the alarm went off when the thief entered the museum through a library door, but the authorities did not arrive in time to catch him. The painting is called L'Enfant à la bulle de, de Savon, or Child with a Soap Bubble. There's some debate about whether it's actually a Rembrandt or just something that was painted after Rembrandt's style, but maybe its recovery means that we will finally get to find out.
1: On April 22nd, a man named Paul Unyaki unearthed a Viking-age figurine in Denmark while using a metal detector. He immediately contacted a museum, so good on you, Paul, for contacting authorities after finding something that seemed significant. Uh, the museum confirmed the age of the figure and started conservation uh, measures on it. The figurine is really small, just 4.6 centimeters high, and it's notable because it has very detailed clothing. This basically makes it a new source of information about what the Vikings actually wore. And it's also kind of visually visually interesting because it has a three-dimensional head on a two-dimensional body. The figurine is wearing an ankle-length dress with long sleeves. And the dress itself has several different textures that are possibly meant to represent different fabrics. Her hair is pulled back in a very tight bun. And she has a piece of jewelry in the front of her dress that might indicate she's meant to represent the fertility goddess Freya.
0: Aerial photography helped researchers find the remains of two ancient Mayan cities in the Yucatan Peninsula. For one of the cities, it was actually a rediscovery. Archaeologist Eric von U visited in the 1970s and dubbed it Lagunita. But given the density of the jungle and the remoteness of the location, as well as the vagueness of von U's documentation, it couldn't be found again until more recently. But Lagunita is a facade with an entryway that's made to look as though it's a monster's mouth, which I find so sort of fabulous. Uh, this is a common theme in architecture of the time, and this particular example is very well preserved. The other city, known as Tamchen, probably existed at about the same time as Lagunita.
1: Also this year, archaeologists working at Hadrian's Wall found a 2,000-year-old wooden toilet seat perfectly preserved in a muddy trench. Although other digs have unearthed plenty of Roman latrines and other toilet artifacts, Dr. Andrew Burley, who's the director of excavations there said he had never seen a perfectly preserved wooden toilet seat before. He said that it looked pretty comfortable. He was also hopeful that they would be able to find the latrine that went with it since in his words, as reported to the BBC, quote, Roman loos are fascinating places to excavate. Their drains often contain astonishing artifacts. Dr. Burley also said that he was looking forward to reading the text of a Roman stylus wax tablet that was also found at Hadrian's Wall this year. In this case, he told the BBC, if we're really lucky, the person using the seat will have had verbal diarrhea and we will be able to get their personal thoughts about life 1,900 years ago. So... I'd really like to meet this Dr. Burley because he sounds like a character.
0: That's like the uh, the thing that was unearthed that's more ex- that's most exciting to Tracy is that we now know about this, <laughs> this, this uh, gentleman who does research and sounds hilarious. Uh, in other poop news, archaeologists in Odense on the island of Funen in Denmark found several latrine barrels dating back to the 1300s. More notable than the barrels themselves is that they still contain what latrines are built to contain. So the team hopes that the contents of these barrels will help shed some light on the dietary habits of 14th century Danes. And for people local to the area, at least at that point, you could take a free tour of the dig site on Tuesdays and Thursdays.
1: In April, a documentary film crew dug up a landfill in New Mexico where Atari had purportedly dumped millions of copies of the overwhelmingly unsuccessful video game E.T. the Extraterrestrial in 1983. The film crew did find many copies of the game, uh, but not quite the millions rumored to be buried there. They also found various other Atari video game detritus. Uh, I included that mostly because the long-held E.T. lore lore that video game kind of tickles me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things that I think the number has grown over the years. You know, I think it used to be, I remember hearing it once very early on as like hundreds of thousands, and it has slowly ballooned up to millions of cartridges.
1: It balloons to the point that there's a page about it at Snopes.com. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're going to take a brief break for a word from a sponsor and then talk about some medical things that were unearthed this year.
0: Mm. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really. Really personal and they're candid, and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hannah Atisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it. And I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,
1: Ollie, we have some exciting news. The first of our medical unearthings is only tangentially medical. While testing the area in preparation for building a new parking facility, the University of Mississippi Medical Center found that the site contained at least a thousand bodies. This wasn't at all the first time that a burial site has been found on the University of Mississippi campus. Anthropological study is ongoing on other remains that have already been unearthed before this discovery. These particular bodies are believed to have been patients at the Mississippi State Lunatic Asylum. The asylum opened in 1855 and housed 150 people. The school considered reburying the bodies elsewhere to make room for the parking facility, but they estimated that it would cost about $3,000 per body or $3 million total. So expansion plans were put on hold. Uh, and I could not find an update about exactly where things stood with that discovery uh, as of right now, as whether they've decided to uh, continue and re-body the, re- rebury the bodies elsewhere or change their construction plans or exactly what.
0: And it's entirely possible that that whole thing is bogged down in paperwork somewhere and there is nothing to discover. <laughs> Scientists extracted DNA from the tooth of someone who died in the Justinian Plague in the year 541. Unlike several other historical plagues, there really hadn't been very much medical or biological research on the Justinian Plague. But then housing developers found a burial site near Munich. And as they examined the evidence, the team figured out that many of the peoples in the burial site had been buried together, which was, of course, very common during plague events. And they eventually narrowed it down to the Justinian Plague. A team led by evolutionary biologist David Wagner at Northern Arizona University determined that the plague had jumped from rodents to people and that it was, in fact, different from the Black Death.
1: During a rehabilitation project at New York City Hall, a team unearthed an artifact that archaeologists thought was maybe a needle holder or perhaps a spice grinder at first. It's about a three-inch long cylinder with holes in the top made from a mammal bone and it dates sometime back to the early 1800s. It was actually found back in 2010, but it wasn't until this year that anthropology student Lisa Geiger published her findings identifying what it actually was. She drew her conclusions thanks to a stint as a docent at the famous Mutter Museum. It turns out that this was not a needle holder or a spice grinder. It was, quote, a vaginal syringe, which was used for douching. Given that this item was found in a big garbage pile that also included the remnants of what looked like a giant celebration, so there was lots of food and lots of liquor, the suspicion is that this was likely brought with a guest and used as a contraceptive or for STD prevention. And just as a heads up, that would not have been effective. Do, do not rely on such a thing for birth control or STD prevention. Tracy's
0: public service announcement. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm I'm just taking a page from stuff Mom never told you for a moment. That would not work.
0: In March, researchers announced that they'd revived a giant virus from the Siberian permafrost and that it was still infectious. Uh, you may remember seeing these headlines and people uh, saying that this is how the zombie apocalypse was going to start. So the virus is much larger than normal, almost as large as a small bacterium, and it affects amoeba. They named it Pythovirus sibiricum, with pytho coming from the Greek word for a large container that's used to store food or wine. Normally, viruses are extremely compact, but this one contains lots of empty space, which prompted evolutionary biologist Jean-Michel Claverie to say, quote, we don't understand anything anymore.
1: The quotes from the researchers are some of my favorite things.
0: (laughs) They're pretty fabulous.
1: So now we have three things that are in the realm of food and drink. Divers brought up a bottle marked Seltzers from a shipwreck that is known as F-3331. And this is a cargo vessel that sank not far off the Polish coast. So in the original reports, this was believed to have been a German luxury mineral water. Seltzers was a known brand of exactly that thing in the early 1800s. But later on, they figured out that what was in the bottle was actually alcohol, probably vodka or gin, which was reported to be drinkable, but not necessarily good.
0: In Egypt, while doing a routine cleaning in another tomb, a Japanese team led by Jiro Kondo of Waseda University stumbled across a completely different, previously unknown burial place, that of Kanso Imheb, the head of beer production for the court of Amenhotep III. It's a T-shaped tomb with a burial chamber and two halls. And it also includes a painting showing the whole process of grain fermentation and presenting the finished product to the mother goddess Mut. It's more than 3,000 years old.
1: U.S. archaeologists also found what they believe to be a precursor to Chianti while doing an excavation in Tuscany. Down at the bottom of a 105-foot deep well, they found bronze vessels, cups, coins, and all kinds of other stuff. The various depths of the well include artifacts that span a 1500 year time span. So, uh, really lots of different layers of things going down deeply into this well. Included at three different levels are some very well preserved grape seeds. The findings confirm that there were at least three kinds of grapes in use during Roman and Etruscan times in the area. And researchers are looking into whether the way they are used might be similar to the proportions of Chianti, which is a 70-15-15 mix of three different types of grape.
0: And now we are uh, moving on to the arena of unearthed elements in literature and letters. So this first one is not really a discovery, but it is a release. The John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston released a number of letters from the personal papers of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis this year. And that's a collection of about 22,000 letters, postcards and other pieces of mail. In particular, the newly released documents include condolence letters after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Also included were the responses sent to each letter, which were handled by the First Lady's personal secretaries. One particularly sweet note is from a 10-year-old Louisiana girl who said, I think you're the nicest lady in the whole world. I mean it, too.
1: I love that. It's
0: so sweet.
1: It's particularly sweet because your is misspelled as Y-O-U-R, which is charming in a 10-year-old's note. Yes. A scrap of paper with Jane Austen's handwriting on it was found tucked into a book at the Jane Austen's Home Museum. This is probably a fragment of one of her brother's sermons, and it says, quote, Men may get into a habit of repeating the words of our prayers by rote, perhaps without thoroughly understanding, certainly without thoroughly feeling their full force and meaning. The scrap is dated 1814, which is when Austin was working on Mansfield Park, and it has some similar religious themes to some things that are in the book. There's also some illegible writing on the back, that the discoverers are hoping to be able to restore.
0: Fragments of two poems by Sappho were unearthed from a private collection this year. It was very serendipitous. The person who owned the papyrus asked Oxford classicist Dirk Obink about the Greek writing on the papyrus, and he immediately recognized its importance. Sappho was a tremendously influential poet in her time, but only one complete poem by her has actually survived until today. Sappho lived in the 7th century BCE, and this piece of papyrus dates to the 2nd or 3rd century CE. This find brings the total known poems by Sappho to six.
1: In February, Dr. Jian Yang visited St. John's College, University of Cambridge, from China. And while he was there, he discovered that a small volume of music that had been held in the university's rare books collection was really a priceless document detailing pre-modern Chinese musical history. This is possibly a completely unique find in the world. The book was originally purchased in China in 1804 by the Reverend James Inman, who brought it back home with him to Britain. It's believed to have been printed in China around 1770, and Inman donated all of his books to St. John's College after becoming a fellow there. The book contains an introduction to three different Chinese instruments, which are a flute, a lute, and a recorder as well as 13 different pieces of music. Um, The entire notation that's used is something that has not been really well documented or surviving documentation has not lasted until now. Uh, So it gives a huge amount of information about uh, Chinese musical history that we didn't have before.
0: So cool. Uh, A previously unknown Shakespeare first folio was authenticated in France this year. So that brings the total number of known first folios two hundred and thirty-three. So for the non-Shakespeare buffs in the crowd, the first folio is the first publication of the collected works of Shakespeare. It's considered to be the most reliable text for many of Shakespeare's plays, and this one is in excellent condition, which is surprising considering that until this year, librarians at the public library where it was housed thought it was a very old, but not particularly exceptional, Shakespearean edition. And that was in part because the title page and introductory material were missing. However, it caught the eye of Remy Cordonnier, the director of the library's medieval and early modern collection, who thought that it could in fact be a first folio. It's planned that it will be put on display in Saint-Omer, where it was found next year.
1: Before we get into uh, the Favorite topic of exhumations. Let's take another brief moment for a word from a sponsor.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Max Homa, and I'm Shane Bacon, and we want to tell you about our new podcast called "Get a Grip" with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. I'm a PGA Tour champion and a guy that has dreamed his whole life to be on the largest stage, compete in the biggest events, and have a chance at making history in a sport that has been a bit of a roller coaster for me as a professional. I know the only reason you chase this dream of being a pro is you could one day become a crossover media darling. You too could be a co host of a podcast and that dream is now a reality max and i will take you through life on the pga tour and our goal is to allow you in as we both pay our respective rents and bills from this silly sport that we can't help but love so do us a favor download and subscribe to get a grip with max home and shane bacon It's our opportunity to bring to life the conversations we are already having, the rants and tangents we will tackle, and the best and worst parts of being a professional golfer. Way more best parts, bro. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Holman, Shane Bacon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: So uh, now we will wrap things up by talking about some exhumations. And this is, of course, not all of the exhumations, uh, <laughs> Treaty had not yet set up her Google alert for exhumations until partway through the year. So she's got a pretty significant list that she's compiled, but not necessarily comprehensive.
1: No, there, there, it's similarly with the rest of it, there would not be room for every single one. So Oliver Cromwell's body was exhumed in 1661 for a quote, posthumous execution. Uh, they basically, after he had died had been buried, drew and quartered him and. Other things to his body. At that time, a brass plate that had been placed on his chest was taken by one of the officials who was present, and then that plate was passed down through the generations, and then it was sold at auction in December of this year, which is why we are talking about it, for 74,500 pounds or 94,965 euros. Neither the person it eventually was passed down to, nor the person who bought it was named, which is common practice for Sotheby's, which is who handled the auction. The plate itself is inscribed with a coat of arms, the dates of Cromwell's birth and death, and his uh, his coronation. And then in Latin, quote, Here is buried Oliver Cromwell, protector of the Republic of England, Scotland, and Ireland, which is a statement that the people of Ireland would, by and large, find issue with.
0: I'm surprised you didn't mention that his head is elsewhere and we don't know where.
1: Yeah, his head is elsewhere we <laughs> don't know where. The, the fate of his body after he was posthumously executed is kind of hard to substantiate.
0: Yeah, allegedly some people know where the head is. <laughs> There has been some back and forth among the governments of Great Britain, Argentina and the Falkland Islands in recent weeks about the potential exhumations of 123 unidentified bodies buried in Darwin Cemetery in the Falklands. Uh, These are the bodies of Argentinian soldiers who died between April and June of 1982 when Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands, which Britain claimed as its territory. The result was the Falklands War. The Independent reported that Argentina was set to exhume 100 bodies. Argentina said the decision to exhume was extremely personal and it would be left to the families. And the Falkland Islands government said that it had not received a request to actually do any of this. So, as of right now, this whole situation is unresolved as far as our information goes.
1: Yes, there is clearly still tension between Britain and Argentina on the subject of the Falkland Islands. In November... Kentucky State Police exhumed the body of an unidentified 1969 murder victim. The woman's badly decomposed body was found by a man picking flowers for his wife in June of that year. Officials are hoping to find a match through CODIS, which is the Combined DNA Index System. Uh, They call the murder an ongoing cold case and are particularly... Interested in it because no one has come forward to say this might be my relative in the time since the murder happened, which is a little unusual. I mean, there, there are frequently unidentified bodies, but not as frequently unidentified bodies with n- literally no one speculating that that might be their loved one.
0: Prague announced that it would pay for the exhumation of Joseph Tufar, who was a Roman Catholic priest who died after being interrogated and tortured. So while Tufar was giving a sermon in December of 1949, several witnesses said they saw an iron cross behind him move on its own several times. And when word got back to the government of, at that time, Czechoslovakia of this purported miracle, Tufar was arrested and tortured until he said that he had orchestrated it. It then became a tool to try to discredit the Catholic Church and oppress Roman Catholics in Czechoslovakia. So this exhumation is in part for the beatification process.
1: And, to close things out, in probably the most weirdly romantic exhumation of the year, uh, Frederick Chopin's heart. So, when Chopin died, he asked for his heart to be removed from his body and buried in Poland. And it was, after being sealed in a jar of liquor, which his sister smuggled into Warsaw, probably under her dress. Um... Since then, his heart has been passed from relative to relative, buried, dug up, buried again. All this while, the rest of his body, was at Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. So in April, a number of officials, including the Archbishop of Warsaw, the culture minister, and two scientists, gathered at Holy Cross Church in Warsaw, where they removed the heart from its secret resting place, inspected it, took photos, and sealed the jar with wax to make sure that its liquor-preserved contents uh, did not evaporate and dry out. Then they put the heart back where it was. This was, in part, to try to figure out whether uh, Chopin really died of tuberculosis. Um, And it happened now because people were afraid and, you know, convinced officials that it was a real possibility that the liquor might evaporate out of the jar and destroy the heart. Officials plan to repeat this inspection in another 50 years. Uh, and they also didn't say anything about it for months. They did it completely in secret in the middle of the night. Very hush-hush.
0: That's how all good exhumations go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Often they are in the middle of the night to avoid uh, onlookers. But this one was particularly secret. So, that is our unearthing for 2014.
0: So, in... Uh... Twenty sixty four, we can look forward to another Chopin's heart discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: I wonder what podcasting will be like in twenty sixty four.
0: <laughs> do you also have some listener mail for us? I do,
1: and this one is just kind of a charming story. Um, she also has lots of episode suggestions, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with the charming story. This is from Jeannie who says, Dear Tracy and Holly, I greatly appreciate your podcast and am a faithful listener. I'm also the mother of a young daughter and history buff. She and I often listen to your podcast together, and I thought you might enjoy knowing the extent to which she absorbs and thinks about your words. We listened to your Good King Wenceslas episode last winter, and then several weeks later she said to me, I think I know who the stranger was that King Wenceslas wanted to help. I replied, Oh, really? Who? She said Utsi. Imagine my surprise. I tried to keep a straight face as she explained to me that Utsi was walking in the snow looking for food and fuel, and King Wenceslas and his page were the last to see him alive before his pursuers found him and killed him. I was glad to learn that the king survived, because who needs that kind of political instability? We also greatly enjoyed your episode on Chinese footbinding, and it has led to some interesting discussions about sexism, racism, and tradition. That episode is also, to this day, the one I find most stomach-turning, even more than the mummification episode which my daughter has practically memorized.
0: (laughs) That made me laugh so hard when I read it, and I I feel like I should apologize to this mother (laughs) for having to listen to those gory details over and over.
1: Yeah. The, the Utsy episode and the Good King Wenceslas episode are from before our time, but this story is so delightful. It really is. I wanted to share it. And it also seems like a good closeout for like the year end, uh, holiday season episodes for 2014, even though the earliest you could be hearing this is 2015. So if you would like to write to us about this or any other, uh, You can. We're at History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash History and on Twitter at History. Our Tumblr is MissedInHistory.tumblr.com and we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash History. We also have a spread shirt store uh, in which we are hoping that we now have an awesome shirt that says, I love exhumations.
0: Really, it's I heart exhumations.
1: Yeah, that is true. (laughs) It's pretty It's pretty great. Uh, so we're hopeful that that's there now. If not, it will be there soon. Um, if you would like to learn more about what we have talked about today, you can come to our parent company's website. That is howstuffworks.com and put the word Shakespeare in the search bar. You are going to find top 10 rare books, which includes the Shakespeare first folio. You can also come to our website, which is mistinhistory.com to find show notes about all of our episodes and an archive of all of the episodes and occasional other posts about other stuff. Uh, I have recently put one up that includes all the ways to contact us and which ones are the most reliable. So you can do all of that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com and mistinhistory.com.
0: For more on this and
1: thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey, guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive, considers himself an athlete, mostly because of his unreal pop shot abilities, and has, in fact, started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Homa, PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grind in and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Soma and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now.